This morning we're going to be hearing from Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 40. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, whom proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prisoner doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them at the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household because he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police, saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison, and do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Sunnybrook. Last couple of weeks, um, myself and a good friend of mine uh, were, uh, were blessed to be a part of um, a different faith community. Uh, we were uh, studying um, 
some specific classes, and uh, it was really good to be with people that uh, share our love for Jesus Christ, um, but practice a different Christian tradition. And uh, we, we, we were blessed to be able to go to chapel with them twice uh, every day. Uh, the, every morning was begun um, in the chapel where we had an opportunity to, um, to focus on who God is and to sing praise into his name and to pray together. And then at the close of every day, everybody back to chapel. We don't want to go home without having an opportunity to just stop and give thanks to God for the day that he has given us. And it was, uh, it was, it was good. And when someone was done speaking the word of the Lord and they would say, this is the word of the Lord, they would all say, and thanks be to God. And I really thought that was awesome. <laughs> so it was kind of sad when you guys didn't say anything. <laughs> they must be more spiritual than us. Um, no. They have a way of living out their faith that is in some ways different and in many ways the same. I sat in a class the name that I can pronounce is Alan. His name from Myanmar was too difficult. I tried and I got it wrong and I tried and I got it wrong. Hi, Alan, I'm Jim. He began to talk about how difficult it is to be a Christian in Myanmar. Why is it hard? Because the church helps people know who Jesus Christ is and then they come to faith and then they don't really help them grow in their faith to Jesus Christ. As long as they've given their life to Jesus Christ, they, they kind of consider it good and, and then they go on. And so he's studying at a, at a rather deep level so that he can go back to Myanmar and create a discipleship program for his groups of churches that are throughout the hill countries of Myanmar. And he just desperately desires that they would grow in their understanding of and obedience to who Jesus Christ was. And it was kind of fun to look across the table from him and say, yeah, me too. Like Stillwater and Myanmar just seemed like they were miles apart, not miles apart at that moment. That the struggles of the Christian faith were very similar, not just different. Now hear me, his archbishop came to speak while he was there. And it was an amazing message, an amazing and powerful message. He was talking about how difficult it is to oversee a number of churches and over a number of different clergy there and just how difficult it was to encourage those pastors who would spend on the average about 28 days out of the month traveling amongst their churches, not being able to be home with their families. The three days that they were home with their families were very special and very important and he would say, and if it wasn't for the call of Jesus Christ upon their lives and the desperate need for their congregations to know who Jesus Christ is, they probably wouldn't be doing this. And it's really difficult in that part of Myanmar because civil war has been now been going on for over 70 years. And most of these pastors have to navigate literally every step because of the landmines. As you can imagine, Ryan and I had a lot of turn-to-one-another comments that we made throughout the weeks. That's not like us, though. Like, um, cultural landmines are not the same as landmines. So different. So the same. And so it's kind of fun to be preparing for this message last week going back to the book of Acts, which both Alan and Jim had to do. 
Going back to our congregations that seem literally worlds apart are actually both in God's same world with very similar struggles and difficulties. That the number one problem being for Christians is that they are not growing up in Christ and there's a responsibility for each of us as believers and there's a responsibility for those of us as church leaders to take the Great Commission very seriously and to be faithful in where God is calling and where God is sending and what God is doing. But I'm glad to be home. I'm glad to be here with you and I'm glad to be breaking open this text. What a privilege it is. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Acts 16 as as we kind of converge in this very interesting story in which what you and I are going to be able to watch is like an everyday, I don't know if it's a day or a week or a month, probably not a month, period of time, not specifically described by Luke, who is our writer for this text. Just describing how the Apostle Paul in the early church just did life. See, when I'm, when I'm, when I'm even like in, a, in situations like I was last week, I look up and Alan becomes like a superhero to me. You're going back where? That archbishop, literally, if, if he were to take off that gown, I would think he would have like a big, not an S because it's not Superman, but like a big C, you know, super Christian. But it seems like to me. But what's amazing is that when I go and talk with them, it's, it's not about like pride and humility. It's just about a profound understanding. When the archbishop stood up and said, I want to pray for you. And I want to pray for the context in which you are preaching the gospel that you might preach faithfully and all the temptations that exist here in America. And I, again, Ryan and I are looking at each other going, it's not as hard as it is in Myanmar. And we can even look at the Bible this way. The Bible can just seem like Myanmar to me. Like so different than Stillwater, Oklahoma. And yet in some amazing way, Acts 16 seemed like it was Stillwater. Yeah, there are some differences. One of them including a time in which a pastor spent in jail. But there are some amazing similarities. A few years ago, it, it, it really dawned on me. I think I'd always known this, but I hadn't known it. And it really dawned on me that through the pages of Scripture, that Abraham, for example, he was the one I was thinking about at the time, contemplating on. In, in, my, in my mind, as I'm kind of understanding the Bible and how God interacts with his followers, it looks a lot like this to me. That every day, Abraham wakes up and says, Good morning, God. And God says, good morning, Abe, how are you? And Abraham says, I'm doing very, very well. I'm wondering what you would like for me to do today. And God said, well, here's what today looks like. I've sent you an itinerary and we will begin with, and then we will do, and then we will do. And that's kind of what I thought it was. That there was this, you know, for people like Abraham, a man of great faith, that there was that, that engagement. It's not how Genesis records his life. If you were to ask me how many times he probably took Isaac up on a hill and sacrificed him, I would probably guess, I don't know, a hundred times, two hundred times. No, once. How many times did God appear to him and say, hey, I want you to go here? Not as often as I thought. But even as I'm reading the book of Acts, 
There is a very powerful moment in Acts 16, Drew preached it last week, where God appears to Paul to redirect him because he's going in the wrong direction. Okay? And he goes in a completely other direction. He ends up going to Philippi instead of going, instead of going east, he goes west. And then, in a very real way, God goes silent, not silent. God goes dormant, not dormant. God is still very much actively involved in this situation. And I don't, I don't even, I can't even have the words anymore. Not in a different way. I have become more and more, um, finding more and more joy in the ever ongoing present and um, guidance of the Holy Spirit and God through his word and through his people. And I don't know if you need this word this morning, but um, the last few weeks have really been impressed upon me in our ability to find joy in and to, um, to rest in the leading of the direction of God by his spirit, by his word, for his name's sake. And that we might be able to redeem and to make the most of the moments that you and I call the mundane, you know, in between Sundays. What does that look like? What, 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 is it, what does it mean to be led by God? And it's so interesting that in this great chapter in which a lot is going on, it, it seems like the Apostle Paul just knows what to do because he knows who he's following and he knows how to act in certain situations. And God continues to respond. Now, I think there are um, two kinds of people that need to hear this this morning, and I'm going to guess that you're both. Let me say that again. Two kinds of people need to hear this this morning, and you're both of them. I'm, I'm two. And that is people that need to hear. It's just an ordinary person. A word of hope and a word of salvation and a word of peace from God. And then for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, that's why I said I hope you're both, that you might have a deeper appreciation or understanding of how God uses you every day. How God actually redeems the 24-7, 365. How, how God demonstrates himself faithful and true when there is no stark Macedonian call. No, you just wake up. Just wake up. And that's the majority of the book of Acts. The first thing that we notice, and I need to sneak back, not because Drew didn't preach the whole text last week, but because in, the, in Acts 16, there are three individuals that are listed by, by Luke, side by side by side. And I think who they are and how Paul and Silas as missionaries interact with them is really what, Paul, or what Luke is getting at here. Three very different people that look the same. Three very different lives that have a common thread. And the first one that we actually see is this person named Lydia. Now, it's interesting how we learn about her. The Apostle Paul wakes up that day and does what Christians do. You know what it's like. You go on vacation, and there you are in a place that you've never been before, 
And then you look at your wife and you realize we're going to be here over a Sunday. We have to decide where we're going to church. I know what it's like. I know what you people are like on vacation. First thing you do, where are we going to church on Sunday? Last week, Ryan and I went to Bellevue Christian Church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Because we wanted to see the people of God. And, and, and God, in his kindness, put a young person in front of us that did absolutely nothing but distract us for about two hours. She had absolutely no interest in paying attention. And it bothered me so much. And can I tell you, I don't think God cared. I had to learn to pay attention with the distraction. <laughs> Welcome to life, Jim Johnson, right? It was good. It was really good to be with those people. This is what Paul does. In verse 14, the Apostle Paul, it seems like, anyway, we don't need a word from the Holy Spirit this morning. It's, it's time to pray. And so what do they do? They go down. Where, where do people pray around here? Oh, down by the river. Okay, well, I'll go down there. And the Apostle Paul just does what? He does all the time, ready to go pray. And so it's in that moment. I think this is a, such a critical lesson for those of us that are waiting for a direct word on who to talk to and when to talk to them. A direct word on where to go and what to do. A direct word on, and yet you don't live any, any other aspect of your life like that. You don't ask the Lord, should I watch television, Lord? No, you just turn it on. Game's on. And then we get spiritual. Apostle Paul, it's time to pray. Where do we pray? In Philippi, not been here before. Oh, down by the river. Okay, I'll go down there. And then while the Apostle Paul is down there, he does what the Apostle Paul does when he's down at a river to pray. Hey, do you guys know who we're praying to? Who, who are we praying to? Someone probably says we're, we're praying to. And it seems like the majority of people in that instance are, are God worshipers. That's how Lydia is described. And the Apostle Paul begins to speak about this God. Notice how she's described as a God worshiper, not an obedient follower of Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul begins there and just begins to speak to her. Just an ordinary person. I, I can't help but think about just how our times are described as being rich and full of individuals who are, in a sense, God-seeking people. They're spiritual. They're, they're the kind of person that when you and I are just having a normal conversation, you say something like, oh, you really need to meet Trevor. He is a great guy. And I'll tell you, um, he, I don't think he's a Christian, but he's really spiritual. And he's a really good guy. Like, I think he is like, one sermon away from becoming a great and devoted follower of Jesus Christ. You know those people? That's Lydia. And Paul wakes up that morning and just, I mean, there's no record of him knowing anything other than, well, wherever I go today, I'm going to be all there. And so I'm going to go do what I always do, just go down, pray with other people who are praying. And while I'm there, I'm going to talk about Jesus. And this, this businesswoman, hear how it's described in verse 14 of Acts chapter 16. And one who heard, as Paul was speaking, one who heard was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, which is, by the way, one of the, uh, one of the churches that is described in the book of Revelation. 
The letter goes to that church. A seller of purple goods, which means she most likely she had a lot of money, who was a worshiper of God, not a follower of Jesus, but a worshiper of God. And Paul noticed the gap in her life and spoke into it. How did he know? It's because he had become so well-versed at knowing when to respond. When the spirit of Jesus prohibits him from moving where he wanted to go and clearly directs to where he is going to go. And just like Abraham and Moses, when you spend 40 years in the desert and you don't have a burning bush experience once, what do you do? You just continue to worship God because he is good. And in the midst of all of that, ordinary people all the way from Myanmar to Stillwater have an opportunity to hear and know the truth about God. Now, it's interesting how that conversation then leads into the next one. He goes back there. In verse 16, it actually continues to describe, and as they're going to the place of prayer, he's already met with Lydia. She's already had some kind of conversion experience. And what is he doing? Well, I mean, I'm still in Philippi. I'm going back to the river. What I do? Where I go? What are you doing here at the river, Paul? Talk about Jesus. Look at verse 16. As we were going, that's, that we, by the way, is, um, means Luke is right in the middle of it. This happens in Acts 16. You'll start hearing the, 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 the pronoun we, which means Luke is now there. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. That's different than Lydia. <laughs> and it's interesting how, how Luke describes it is everything is going on as normal, but the one thing that continues to be normal but not normal is the Apostle Paul and Silas. They are now breathing new life into this group of um, slave owners, sometimes God worshipers. These people who know enough to be spiritual, not enough to know it's Yahweh God. These people who might have some idea that there is a God, Yahweh God of the, of the Bible, but have no idea who Jesus Christ is and what his life means. And it doesn't matter what any of those circumstances are, the Apostle Paul sees and then responds. I, I really am concerned that I have spent too much time looking for direction that I have failed to see Lydia's and slave girls right in front of me. I was blessed to be at a Bible college where um, everyone, literally everyone, trying to figure out what God wants me to do with my life. Okay, I get it. I, I, I'm, I'm, I would always say as a professor, yeah, me too. Still trying to figure that out. I know what I am. I know who I'm going to talk about. I know where I'm going to talk about it. Right now it's Joplin, Missouri. But yeah, I'm still, I'm still trying to discern God's plan and God's purpose. It's interesting. The Apostle Paul doesn't seem lost or confused. He doesn't seem stalled, feet stuck. He sees this young woman. And it wouldn't be, very, it wouldn't be uncommon at all in this particular city to see those that are young women or those that are older women with this spirit of divination. Like, we're going to see what happens here. This isn't just somebody taking advantage of others. This is somebody being taken advantage of because she is possessed by a demon. 
I don't know exactly what she knows about the future. I just know there are some people making money off her and she needs to be liberated. And what I love about it, what is so freeing about it is the Apostle Paul walks into that situation and knows what to do. He sees in every step God's providence and God's sovereignty and God's direction and God's protection. He sees like God's movement in his life. Don't you want to just know that God is going to redeem your Monday? Don't you so desperately desire that somehow that when hump day comes this week, it's more than just a Wednesday? And TGIF. Tell me you did a little more than just burn the clock for five days. Tell me. Isn't it what you so desperately want? I love this. As we were going to pray, because that's what we do, we saw this woman and we knew what to do. And they free her. I just can't help but think how many people I didn't, I didn't take the opportunity, take the time, have the eyes to respond to. I know it gets complicated, right? Because we can't do this. So what's your name and how are you? Okay, good. What's your name and how are you? Yeah, I don't have time for you. What's your name and how are you? Like, I get it. Like, I get, you can't just stop and deal with everything. I get it. But that is where we trust the ongoing providential sovereign care of God and the indwelling of his spirit. And he leads us through the day when we can stop. Just tell me, you know of times in which you could stop and look at someone in their circumstances and say, they need the Lord. They need to be freed. They need a word of hope or a word of peace. They need to know the truth about Jesus because they are believing a lie. They are heading in the wrong direction and I want to point them to the one who is life. And I guess my concern is we have become a church, not just Sunnybrook, but we've become a church where we're so, well, I'm waiting for you, let me know. And and actually the Bible talks more about like as long as it is called today. Pay attention to the opportunities in front of you. I just, I really do. I challenge you to go back and look at even the three years that the disciples spent with Jesus. They they weren't doing miracles every day. Sometimes Jesus would just disappear. They didn't even know where he went. Well, Jesus, what were we supposed to do? Seriously, has it been this long that I've been with you and you still don't know? The redemption of the mundane, the liberation of the ordinary. The last one, and I love how all these, these, these stories flow together, right? So they go to this place to pray. Lydia finds who Jesus Christ is. They go back to that place to pray, and this slave girl finds liberation. And then because that slave girl finds liberation, her owners lose their money, and they get mad. And so, hey, Paul and Silas, you do what you want to do, and then these business owners, they do what they do best. They've known how to exploit this young lady and they are angry that their exploitation is gone, their manipulation is stopped and they take it out on Paul and Silas and they beat them and they send them to jail. 
You know, jail, that's the place that your parents always warned you that you would end up if you didn't have better friends. Jail. Well, in the Bible, jail is the place where Christians are sent that will not, will not give in to the temptation to, to, to be quiet about who Jesus Christ is. That's kind of what we really see in the, in the book of Acts, particularly. And again, Paul and Silas say, you do what you got to do, and we'll do what we got to do. And they go, okay, here's what we do. We beat you up, and we put you in jail. And Paul and Silas say, okay, Gary, then we are going to jail. And we're going to sing a song while we're there. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? They're put, Luke, Luke goes into great details. They're put in an inner cell. Um, they are restrained. Boy, if, if, if these guys were like of my generation, then they would sit down and say, give me a pen. I'm writing a book on disappointment with God. I'm going to write a book on missionary strategies and how to stay out of jail. I'm going to write a book on, not these guys. It, it was like they knew what to do in some sense because they had been there before. I, I don't, this is what I love and what I like being freed from, because I can be this guy. I can be this guy always looking for a strategy and a plan. And I think God says to us sometimes, can't you just, like, enjoy me? Can't you just live in me and talk about me? And I, I just see, I see Paul and Silas in prison and looking at each other. And hear me, I, I guarantee you they struggled. I guarantee you there's no way that they're not feeling the blows that have been physically poured down upon them. I can imagine one of them looking at the other and just knowing that this brother, I don't know if it's Paul or Silas, maybe both, need a word of encouragement. Let us talk about how good our God is. Let us remember what Jesus Christ, our Savior, has endured. Maybe it was Paul looking at Silas saying, listen, I want you to know I've been here before and it's worth it. And one of the reasons why you're here is because John Mark couldn't do this. And I know you're scared, but Jesus is going to be faithful in this. How do you know? And I don't know. Paul started singing. Great is thy faithfulness. Although that's, that song hadn't been written yet, by the way. That's me using an illustration. Oh, I needed to hear that song. Have you ever been that way? I just need to hear that song right then. I just needed to hear that song. They're not strategizing. Hey, Silas, have you taken a class on evangelism? I have, actually. Took one in seminary just the other day. And they told us that when we're in circumstances like this, here's what we're supposed to do. <laughs> I literally think they are, at some level, overwhelmed, but also with joy. And then they just start singing because that's what Christians do. In the same way that they ended up at the place of prayer, they ended up in jail and they ended up singing. Isn't that interesting? See, that's, that's, why, that's why all of our trying to contrive the Christian life always ends up coming up short. Because it doesn't fit. God's schedule is not our schedule. God's timetable is not our timetable. God's plans for us are greater than, and even the way that we misquote Jeremiah, God's plans for us are greater than we can even fathom. And it only is ultimately realized and enjoyed 
when we find pleasure in God on a consistent basis, in proven ways, in prayer and song, in reminding one another of the goodness of God and how we have seen that first and foremost in the life of Jesus Christ. Paul and Silas are just doing what Christians do. They remember how good God is in the darkest of times. verse 27 it says this and when the jailer woke (laughs) saw the prison doors remember what happened there was an earthquake and doors are swung open and the restraints are fallen which means that if anybody escapes then the jailer's life for the lives that are gone which by the way that's why it's so amazing that the jailer took Paul and Silas to his house I'm gonna guess everybody else he put back in their cells and he takes them to his house Do you notice that? Why? Well, where are they going to go? I mean, Paul and Silas probably went, yeah, you want to? We'll go back to your house, tell you more about Jesus if you want. See how it's just this beautiful, natural, one step after the next. When the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open and he himself was afraid, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Lydia, a slave girl, and a jailer, two of the people we do not even know their names. This is a church that Paul knows well, that he writes to, that Luke would know well, and and yet the people that are described here are just nameless. I, I love this. In light of who God is, you know we're all just ordinary. What a joy, what a freedom. Isn't it amazing how God looks at this businesswoman, very successful, the slave girl, incredibly exploited, this jailer, puppet of the state, and goes, I love you, and I love you, and I love you. And I'm going to redeem you, and I'm going to redeem you, and I'm going to redeem you. Makes a church out of them. Isn't that awesome? What do you do with messed up people with broken backgrounds? You make a church out of them. How do you do that? You recognize the power. There might be three different people, but this is the part that I have been incredibly blessed. I don't know if you can tell. I'm kind of living in the the glow of the last few weeks, meeting with different people that I did not know were followers of Jesus. There are churches in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Like I, I know that you thought they just cared about football, baseball, and hockey. Now that is one crazy sports town, but there are there are believers all through it. And all around the world, and what, what, what right now is happening, I, I was sitting, and I just love these statements. So the other day I was talking to the former bishop of the Horn of Africa. Is that not awesome? And he's describing all the amazing things that God is doing. Let me say it again, because it's not a phrase we use a lot around here. In the Horn of Africa. And God is using ordinary people. Like you and me and Paul and Silas and Lydia and a slave girl and a jailer to do amazing things to ordinary people. Like school teachers and bankers and single moms. Probably a lot more slave girls. And God continues to do his work and it all revolves around this one simple message. It's very interesting how um, I, I have sought after all these amazing things in my life, all these amazing experiences in my life and how much the same consistent message 
of who God is and his love for me, particularly, specifically in Jesus Christ, is really all that I need. And that is why it is the simplicity of this message. Notice that in this chapter of people coming to Christ that not once do you get a sermon. You just seem to get this repeated phrase. By the way, if you have a pen, I recommend you underline it because it shows you the, the stark contrast between all that we want to bring to the table and the simplicity of a statement. What must I do to be saved? I don't even know how the Philippian jailer got to that question. You know, we were in prison and then the magical earthquake. Well, it's not magic. It was the, oh, the, the God in his power. And then this amazing thing happens. And then the jailer says, hey, what do I need to do to be saved? How did you get there? Um, God's doing a lot more than any of us realize all the time. I love this. Paul just turns and says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And, and just like, oh, this is what we love to do. So is that a promise? So then you're telling me that as long as I believe, then my, my, um, my unbelieving wife, she'll believe. My, 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 my daughter, who's a prodigal, who doesn't want to come home, you're telling me if I believe, then that'll be taken care of. No, no, no. We don't believe in hocus pocus and abracadabra. We believe in God, who is very real. We believe in the power of his spirit and the leading and the guidance and the direction of his spirit. We believe in the work that Jesus Christ has done and the work, work that Jesus Christ continues to do as we tell the story of who he is. And we look forward to his coming. And I love this because there really is probably more influence than you and I can have, like in our own household. That's why it, it comes back to this over and over again in the book of Acts. See, we, we believe in this orange concept, which is that moms and dads have this incredible frontline responsibility in their homes. And by the way, I'm an empty nester myself. And so, which means my grown children need their groaner father. I don't know if that's a word. Is that a word, groaner? More grownish? I think that's the word, technically. Um, old man, Jimmy J. I need to still remind my grown sons and their families that salvation comes by believing in Jesus Christ. And that is so important. And that through the proclamation of that word, whether you are a businesswoman or a slave girl or just you're doing the nine to five at the local quarry, it doesn't matter. Salvation is found in no one else but Jesus Christ and in him alone. And that when you, and I'm, I wish I could look at every single one of you, but when you take that to heart and then live that out in your life, you'd be amazed at the kind of influence you can have on you and your household and the place that you work and the, 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 the cul-de-sac in which you live. You'd be amazed. And I would even argue that it's God's plan and purpose for you, for us, in him. That simple message, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That's the one thing about that text that I do know for sure is that there's nobody who has knocked on the throne of God and he has not responded. There's nobody who has sought after him. Nobody who has eagerly desired to find peace in him and he has turned them away. And God continually does this. And you and I are the ones who both receive and extend the hope that we have found in Jesus Christ and him alone. Is that not joyful? 
Three different people, one message. And I love this one Savior. I'll tell you, that's the the beauty of of the book of Acts is it knows where to put its focus because it knows how much you and I can get lost in the details. While we're, we're looking for like plans and ways, it just keeps coming back to the simplicity of who Jesus Christ is. Look at verse 14. It even reminds us who is the ultimate one doing the work in our families, in our marriages, at the workplace. To Lydia. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Yeah, I don't know exactly what to say. I I feel like one of the reasons why I don't share who Jesus is more is because I just don't know what to say. Okay, I know what to say. I do, I promise you. I know what to say. And it doesn't guarantee anything. If you think somehow you learning a technique or information is somehow going to save the people. And I know you love them and I know you care about them. If you think that the difference between your loved ones who are not coming to faith, your friends who do not know who Jesus Christ is, if you think the difference is technique, you do not understand the power of the Holy Spirit and the way of God. Just not. Love Lydia. I think of her a lot because it reminds me that no matter how much I study, no matter how much I learn, no matter how I can fix my, I mean, not even the great Drew Moss with those crazy poems can overwhelm everybody. You know what I mean? Hear me, I love them. I love them and they speak to me. But without an open heart, they do not speak. That deserved an amen. Yeah, not for me, but for that idea, Right? To a slave girl, listen to this. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. Where'd you learn that? (laughs) The Gospels. (laughs) Jesus would do that all the time. In my name, come out. It's It's not hard. It is not hard. You know exactly what to do should you meet a slave girl like this. Do you know whose name to use? Jesus' name. To a Philippian jailer, as you just go through your life and you've got people just like this Philippian jailer who are just going through their lives. I remember when Andrea and I first heard the news of her mom and the, 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 the difficult news that it looked like that unless the Lord did something, she was going to be with Jesus instead of with us, which Andrea keeps saying she definitely got the better end of the deal. But Andrew and I spent a lot of time praying because we knew that as we went, we'd never gone through anything like this before. We knew that we had a whole family, like our children and, our, and, and their families and our, my granddaughter, who probably you know, will never remember any of this, but just remember like they're watching us and how we respond in moments like this, they're gonna remember. And Andrew and I talked about this. We prayed about this. Like, like I don't know if you were watching or not watching, but, but I think you might've been watching as you were praying for us. And hear me, we're not doing it for you. Yeah, we are. No, we are. Yes, we are. Kind of, yes, no, but not only, but yes. Isn't that life? Isn't that what it, that what it means to be salt and light? That's Acts 16. Don't you love it? Don't you love it? Yeah. See, that's how you raise a boy. 
like Luke, isn't it? We just love him. And thank you for doing it for us and not for us. How many stories like that exist around us that we fail to see with eyes that we should see? To this Philippian jailer, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. And then he was. Is that not incredible? What a joyous celebration. And so in those times when you are seeking some kind of extra, I want you this morning as you eat and drink the body and the blood of Christ, know that you have enough. As you are looking for every moment where Jesus is just leading you, know that he is already leading you. Know that his spirit already dwells in you. And may you, through the regular weekly observance of the Lord's Supper, experience him fully and find great joy in him. Let's pray. So God, we thank you for who you are and for what you've done. We thank you for um, the miraculous in the mundane. Thank you for the powerful through the powerless. God, we thank you for the supernatural, your spirit in the natural, me, us. For the promise that you have given and for the promises that you will only keep, we give you praise and thanks. May we now celebrate who you are and what you have done, particularly through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May we do so with great joy in fellowship with one another. The glory of you, God. We give you thanks. And all God's people said. So as we prepare to continue in our worship, as you feel led, make your way to the communion tables in the front, on the sides, and in the back of the room, and partake of the elements.